Merry Christmas and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to have you with us today. And if you're visiting with us, we're glad you could be here as well. And uh, there are some people here that we're especially glad you're here. We've been uh, sick and hurting. And man, it was really good to see. It's good to see Jackie Tarantino here. I'm not going to make a big fuss. She doesn't want us to do that, but I'm glad to see her here. So good, good to be together this morning. Hope your Christmas shopping is uh, nearly done. Uh, I'm sure the men can't say that, but the women can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be Christmas this week, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I know many of us will be either either out of town or friends and family coming in town. And where we're going to be gathered together, we're going to be hearing Christmas songs. I don't know what your favorite CD is. If it's Bublé, what's his name? I, I did it on purpose. Uh, I, my favorite CD is John Denver. We always start with him and, and then work our way uh, to uh, the, the Chipmunks. But it, it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, but I know that uh, many of us here are probably going to, you know, you think about all the Christmas movies that are out. And you probably think of a favorite one right now. Maybe your most favorite would be, you know, Kevin, you're such a disease. You know, uh, I know Kevin Grove loves hearing that line. Um, but I want to ask you, what is your favorite movie? I want you, why don't we take a minute and just talk about that? What's your favorite movie and why, okay? Could you do that for a second? Let's take just a few seconds. T- turn to somebody and tell them, this is my favorite Christmas movie. And don't say Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of them in there. Anybody here? Anybody here fans of White Christmas? Wonderful. It's a Wonderful Life. That's my favorite. Christmas with the Cranks? Oh, you just watch home movies. I get it. Elf. Hope you find your dad. Yeah. Christmas vacation? It keeps giving all year long, Clark. <laughs> yeah. I love that rant. That's, yeah. White Christmas is good. I love White Christmas. I just think it's a Christmas story. Who can, you know, Frigili. Just mentioning that word, fragile. You all know what I'm talking about. But there's, you know, we have all these, all these. There's Home Alone one, Home Alone two. I'm not sure which one's better. I like them both. Danny and I have been kicking around an idea, writing a screenplay for Home Alone, another Home Alone episode. It's where Kevin, uh, he's grown up, he's married, he has kids, and the wet bandits kidnap his kids, and he has to go through their booby traps to save his family. I think that'd be a great storyline. Yeah. See. We can make a million bucks. But there's, a, there's all kinds of, of, of you're going to be watching movies. You're going to, you know, guys, we're going to be hearing songs, family members, stories, all kinds of stories. On, on uh, TCM, they have the Christmas Carol. Every, you know, the 30 version, the 40s version, the 50s version, even the Twilight Zone in the 60s has a version. That, and and they're, they're all on this week. Um, when I was growing up, I was the Christmas kid of the kids. In other words, I did the decorating because nobody else wanted to. 
we had one of those silver aluminum trees that was really silver and aluminum. And if you looked at it funny, it would burst into flames. It was one of those. And I remember we had this, this apparatus that didn't work from a motor, but it actually worked from the heat of the light bulb that would turn slowly, changing the colors of the tree. And I was always working on that. It was my job to set up the nativity scene, too. And uh, if you think about the nativity scene, it's pretty basic. We had uh, the little manger made out of popsicle sticks. I remember we ma- I made that. And then we had all these statues that we put in there. Of course, you got Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. But then you had some sheep and a donkey, right? And then you got the shepherds. I don't remember. It was a cow. Okay. And then, uh, then you have the wise men. And for some reason, I had the drummer boy in this too. I mean, I had to take an army man, you know, and make him with sticks and get an M16. But it didn't matter, you know. He's there. And I remember as a kid, for the first time, somebody saying the drummer boy wasn't in the Christmas story. I said, yes, it is. No, it's not. And I was shocked. You're kidding me. Why? Didn't nuns sing that? They've got to be right. And you're telling me that's not true, and it's not true. But then what really took me back is when I started going to church, I find that the wise men weren't even there. That the wise men were not at the manger. They came later. They came to a house. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, if you've got your Bibles, and if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, let's look at this This. this, this uh, this passage. We're going to read chapter 2, verses... We're going to have it up on the screen, too, and hopefully it's it's going to be small for some of you. But uh, I want you to... Let's, let's read this together. And notice... Here's what I noticed right off the bat. It tells us they're not there. It says, after Jesus was born of Bethlehem in Judea. The wise men weren't even there. The word after tells you that. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was was written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. He's saying there's going to be a king who cares that's coming from Bethlehem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And we do realize that He wasn't really interested in worshiping this new king. That would mean he'd be out of a job. Verse 9, after they had heard the the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, see, it's not the manger, it's a house now. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I remember James Taylor had a song out called Home by Another Way. Home by Another Way. Maybe me and you can be wise guys too and go home by another way. And it was the Christmas story. You can't tell the story without the wise men. Am I right? They're part of it. And, and I, what I love about Christmas, like the Christmas story that goes on for a while, Christmas is a season, not a one-day thing. Am I right about that too? Yeah, it's not like Fourth of July. You do it one day and then it's over. No, Christmas is a season. And, and whether a person believes in Christ or not, they think of Jesus. And whether they like Christ or not, they celebrate Christmas. In fact, right now in, in our country today, there's a study out or a stat out today. Over half of, of Americans celebrate Christmas, but not because of Christ being born. Did you know that? Just over half now. And whether they're Jewish or pagan or whatever they are, they say it's just one of the most positive seasons of the year. One of the most encouraging seasons of the year. I got to agree. It is very encouraging. And it's in this story of the wise men that we find, we find some encouraging thoughts as you think about Christmas. As you, and that reason, I didn't have notes today because I don't intend to go very long today. We'll see if I can do that again. Okay? I know yesterday or last week you were all shocked. You know, I'm going to try to shock you a little bit today. But I do, I do want to say, all jokes aside, I, I pray that this Christmas that you will find home by another way because, you, because you're encouraged by the wise men, that you'll find a relationship with Christ, whether you're a believer or not, that your relationship with God will be deeper and richer because of Christmas. Someone once said, uh, what if they'd have been wise? They asked this question. What if they'd been wise women? Would it have been any different? And someone said, I think it would have been different. And one of the things they, they said about this, if it were wise women, they say, first of all, they would have asked for directions much sooner. <laughs> I find that kind of interesting. That's true. And secondly, they would have been at the, at the manger to help with the delivery. You know, men don't want to... Ah. They'd have been there. And everything would have been washed down several times with antibacterial soap. It would have been sanitized. That lamb would have been so sanitized. And, they, and, and they, someone once said uh, that uh, if they'd have been wise women, they'd have been more practical. Gold, frankincense, myrrh? No, a casserole and diapers. That makes sense. <laughs> but I have to admit, the wise men do encourage us on Christmas. And this week, I just want to encourage you, as you're, as you're going through the week of Christmas, and as you celebrate it, you know, that's what is going to be Wednesday. We're going to be celebrating Christmas. That'll be the day. You know, December 25th is not the real day Jesus was born. We know that, right? We know it was somewhere in April. Uh, we also know that, uh, you may know this, if you've watched A&E or History Channel or something, you've done a little research, that, that Christmas, the idea of celebrating on the 25th of December came along around 300 and something A.D., and it was influenced by the Roman culture that exchanged gifts and celebrated the end of the year. And so it kind of, the Christians kind of incorporated it from the Roman culture, this idea of celebrating toward the end of the year or something. And they thought, why don't we celebrate the, the birth of Jesus? This idea of gift giving, the Christians finally, uh, they, they used the wise men to justify the gift giving. 
They say, well, it must be, well, let's give gifts. Wise men gave gifts. So let's give gifts to each other. I'm learning something as I'm reading my Bible. This is my fourth time through it in a, in a, in a, in a row, four years in a row in the Daily Bible. And, I, and I'm noticing things I've never noticed before. And I hope that you'll, you'll make a decision you know, to read your Bible through every year, guys. I mean, I, I, I can't recommend the Daily Bible any more than I already have. There's something about reading it over and over again in chronological order that really helps you understand the whole scope of things. But it's funny that in this passage we see the word after and house, and I never saw those before. You know, it's like, wow, it's afterwards. It's, yet this is part of the Christmas story. We see the manger isn't just in a barn. It moves on and on and on what happens there on Christmas Day. So as I'm thinking of Christmas, as you're thinking of Christmas, what, what can we learn from the wise men? What is something we can be encouraged to do? and to think about and be encouraged by this morning. Let me give you three thoughts and we'll be through here. As you think about Christmas, the wise men teach you and I this, that God wants to meet me in person. If there's anything, God wants to be close to you. He traveled, God traveled in the form of Jesus Christ from heaven to earth. That's a long way. So why? He wants, to, he wants to have a relationship with you and be and meet you in person. He wants to be close. Look what it says here, the wise man. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east. What's that mean, from the east? They're, from, they're, they're not from around. They're not anywhere close. They're far away. Some people have placed them in China. Some have placed them in Arabia. Some have placed them in Persia. You know, they're, 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 they've traveled... Anywhere between 500 to 1,000 miles by camel. How many wise men are there? We're not sure. Some people speculate anywhere between 2 to 20. Are they kings? It's based on a passage in Isaiah 60 that kings would come to the light when it came to the earth. But these men are not kings. They're not really kings, but they're wise. They're more like... um, astronomers than astrologers. They study the stars, but they're not in the mystical, magical benefit, if there's such a benefit, of studying the stars. They're looking at the stars in wonder. That's like the song, Star of Wonder, Star of Light. You know, it's like it's, 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 it's captivated them. And they've studied these stars, and they know, just like if you would do this, and I would encourage you this week, if you can, if the, if the sky permits you to, to go out and look at the stars. I'm going to be in Bone Gap on Wednesday. For all of you listening that like to steal things, there you go. My dog will be there, though. A ferocious 300-pound Rottweiler. But um, I'll be in Bone Gap, and, and, and every year I'll go outside and pray. And I just look at the stars, especially on Christmas night and you, or Christmas Eve night. And without the city lights, you see the Milky Way in its glory. It's just incredible. It's like you can just reach up and pick them right out of the sky. Right now, the moon as it's setting, or uh, the moon as it's going down in the west, you see Jupiter. It's that big, bright ball. Maybe you've noticed. That's Jupiter. And, and one of the things about these guys, they would study these stars. It's interesting that in, in AD 6, 
there, there was a phenomenon where Jupiter and Saturn and with the help of little Mars formed a cluster of light that was just overpowering in the sky. And it's believed by some, some uh, astrophysicists. Uh, there's a guy by the name of... Uh, he's in Notre Dame. And um, he says something about that. His name is Grant Matthews. And he says that, that uh, this could be the phenomenon that the wise men saw. And it appeared in April. It had been around for a couple of years, but it really came to its zenith uh, during the time of April. So it's possible these guys were, were seeing that. It's amazing when you think about it. Science and astronomy do point to God. And, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, how sinful it is to study the stars for the magical reasons, the zodiac kind of stuff. The, you know, it's talking about don't rely on those that tell the future. Yet God would use something as controversial as that to lead people to why why are you doing that lord why do you why do you have a star up here is it the planets or is it an actual star because they say we see his star in the sky is it possible that these wise men what they because they studied the planets and by the way they knew planets existed thousands of years they 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 were able to see these planets guys and so it wasn't unusual for them to know hey these these are a cluster of planets it's possible they they, 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 they knew that. They could see the difference between that and an actual star. Whatever it is, they refer to it as his star. Why is his star in the sky to lead them? To lead them to Jesus face to face. But God uses stars of all kinds when you stop and think about it. You know, C.S. Lewis, who had experienced a tragic tragic episode watching his best friend get killed in World War One. just just uh, completely rejected the whole God thing for years but with the help of creation the, the looking at the stars and nature he began to question if the God really existed and he embraced he embraced what the Bible taught Based on that, sometimes God uses the stars. And again, I want to suggest to you, go out sometime this week. Just look at the stars and pray. And being caught in awe by what the stars say. The Bible says the stars sing. And maybe they'll sing to you a message about Jesus. But God may use nature. He may use crisis. I know all of us here, a lot of us here could say they've experienced some crisis in 2013. You know, the, I, I've joked about it, but I don't mean to anymore. You know, the Mayans were off about the end of the world, but it's been a tragic year for a lot of us. Our, our, our year started with Denise's mother passing away, and it's just been, it's been really a tough year. Had a lot of things happen at Greater Alton, the economy, your life. And yet, I, I can't tell you that I'm, I've never, never been more close to God. It's like these, the crisis... How did Paul was Paul was told by by God? It's hard to kick against the goads. The pain of crisis points us, nudges us, moves us closer to God. Why? He wants to meet you and I in person. He wants to know you face to face. And now, what I love about these guys, these wise men, is you're never too far away. You're never too far away for God to love you and reach out to you. And maybe you're thinking of somebody 
Maybe a family member, maybe a friend. You go, man, they just left the Lord. They're so far away from God. I don't know what to do. But can I reassure you? God is reaching to that person. You can count on it. And He may use a crisis. He may use His creation. He may use another godly person, another Christian. But God is working on those people. But I want you to think about this. God is working on you, too. He wants you closer. I used to think, well, when I got, when I got baptized, uh, I'm done. I found Him. And then I found a passage where Philip says, we have found the Christ. And yet, Philip, it was at the, just the beginning. So even as a Christian, as a disciple, I'm still, God's saying, I want you closer. I want you closer. You find God working on you? Maybe you've drifted far away. Maybe you've drifted... In some places, I want you to know God says that you're never going to be too far away for me to care about you. These guys were from the east. They're not Jewish. They're barbaric. They're Persian. They're from somewhere else. They're weird. Their customs are strange. They've got, they got a strange lifestyle. And you know what God says? I want you. I want to meet you. I want to be with you. I wonder where these guys got this prophecy. It's believed that... During the Babylonian captivity, when Daniel was in captivity, you know, he stayed behind and began to start a school of prophets. And it's believed that his, his influence had an impact on these wise men. That the prophecy that they were believing in of this Christ child, this Messiah, this king that was coming, came from Daniel. And if you read the book of Daniel, he speaks of it. I don't know what God is using on you. If He uses the Holy Spirit on you. You ever have something that you can't explain? You just feel nudged by something that makes you go, I need to do that. I told you this before. A couple weeks ago, we had a guy who hadn't been to church in months. He shows up and I go, what are you doing here? It came out of my mouth before I could think. What are you doing here? He goes, I just feel like I got a kick in the pants from God. You know what I'm talking about? You get a thought, an idea. The wise men had a dream of going home another way. The wise men had a star that led them. And so you have the Holy Spirit working, guiding these men to Christ. And God will use this Holy Spirit to guide you and prick your heart and quicken your heart to think about something maybe you haven't thought about in a long time. It's something godly. It's something good. And these men are led by that. They're, they're touched by that. God uses a lot of stars. And I think about, think about this. You know, here they are standing there and they're asking, hey, we want to worship this king. We're looking for this king. Where is he? You know, we saw his star, his star. And we've come here to worship him. And, and as Herod goes, well, hold on. Uh, and he gets some chief priests and some guys that know the Bible really well. And they come in. Hey, do you know anything about this prophecy? And they open up Micah and they read it. Yeah, it's right here. Imagine the pleasure these wise men must have experienced hearing the Word of God confirm their prophecy. Yeah, you guys know what we're talking about. So the Word is even at work. The Word of God's even at work. Why is all this there? Why has God worked through crisis and creation and His Word and through all the, all the pain and the pleasure of life? Why, does he, why would He use all these things? He wants to be close to you and I. No matter how far away you are. There was a guy named uh, Simeon, and uh, 
He's an old man. The Holy Spirit had told him that he would meet the Christ, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, before he would die. You find it in Luke chapter 2. And what happens? Well, you see Joseph and Mary and Jesus, the three in the manger, are now in the temple. It's about a month later. And Simeon sees them and starts quoting from Isaiah 42 and 45. And what's he say? Well, here's here's the words he used I found here in Luke 2 this morning. He goes, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and and for glory to you people Israel. Think about this. He's in the middle of the temple. There's not a Gentile within a hundred yards. All Jews. And he says, that guy is going to bring salvation to the Gentile. Huh? Those that are far away, he's going to bring them. And he's going to bring Israel in as well. You far away from the Lord this morning? Don't you know God wants you close? Look what the Bible says here. It says here, But now in Christ Jesus you have once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We sing a song, Away in a manger. Is that true? Maybe it should be sung this way, Closer through a manger. Why? Because God moved in closer and leads us closer to Him. Why? He wants to be close. So no matter what, how far you feel away from God, I want you to know this Christmas, when you sit down with your family, or if you're watching football, or you're, watch, you're eating some food, or you're opening presents, remember a, a wise man is encouraging you to know something, and that is, hey, you're not that far away from the Lord. You're actually closer than you realize. The second thing I notice this, is this, and that is that... I, that uh, I don't find God by accident. I'm not going to find God by accident. Now, I know there's a passage where it says a man was one time walking through a field and he stumbles across some, what is that? Ooh, some treasure sticking out of the ground. And so he covers it in his joy. And then he goes and he buys or he sells everything and buys the field so he can have the treasure. And I always thought, well, he stumbled across it by accident. That's what the passage is trying to say. The pa- Jesus is not teaching that we stumble across God by accident. I believe it's always on purpose. But he is saying it costs you something. And the wise men, it costs the wise men everything to find Christ. Look what it says, says here. It, they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. You know, it's the wise men that are asking. It's the wise men that are looking. And it happens to be the wise men that are finding. You don't find God by accident. Look at this. It goes on to say, and, and again, Matthew 2, verses 9 to 10. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were over. Joyed. You know, the, think of the distance these men must have traveled. The days, the expense, the energy. Why? Why? You know, it's, it's almost like they, they want him more. They want to see him more than anything else. They're looking for a king. 
They know it's worth the trip. They go the distance. It's different today. A lot of people have a different approach when it comes to seeking God. It goes something like this. I expect God to be looking for me. I expect God to find me on my schedule. And when it comes to giving gifts, I expect God to be giving gifts to me. A lot of people go to churches for what they can get. It's about getting. You know, you've got to prove yourself to me, Lord. These wise men weren't interested in any of that. You're not going to find Christ that way. You're not going to get any closer. You know, I learned something this morning. I was telling the first group, I'm as close to God as I want to be. And you are too. You're as close to God as you want to be. And, you're, and you don't get close to God by accident. It takes energy and effort. It takes work. It takes love. It takes patience. And the wise men teach us this morning, and they encourage us this morning on Christmas, on Christmas week, that I don't find God by accident, but I've got to make effort to find Christ. I love Jeremiah 29. This is the message. I like the message. You say, why do you like it? I just like it. Is it accurate? I don't know if it's real accurate, but man, it's a good paraphrase. I like it. To me, it's the modern day living Bible. I had the living Bible as a teenager, and now you've got this one. Look at this. Look at the Bible promises. We're very familiar with this passage, but look how it captures it. But when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. I love that. When I want it more than anything else, and that's what the wise men, they wanted, they wanted to have a relationship with God more than staying at home, more than anything else, more than what they had. They would spend the time and the energy to seek You don't find God by accident. These wise men are telling you it takes effort, real effort. And in Acts 17, look what it says here. Here's how Paul said it to some people in the book of Acts. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for for living. Why? So we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. Amen. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. You believe that? You believe He's near? You think He's close? I know He's close. How do you know that, Tim? I think the wise men teach us this. He's as close as I want Him to be. How do you know that, Tim? Well, Jerusalem is six miles away from Bethlehem. Just six miles away. And Herod had no idea that the Messiah was born. Yet these guys, a thousand miles away, knew he'd been born. Just because I'm close in proximity doesn't mean he's close here. And, you know, Herod had all the, the religious wherewithal. You know, he had the, I'm going to church, I'm doing the work, I'm, you know, I'm reading. And he pulls out the Bible even and he's like, Really? How did, how did this get by me? It got by him because he wasn't seeking. These men, 
get this, these men over a thousand miles away are closer to Christ than Herod, who's only six miles away. Being religious isn't going to cut it, guys. Doing religious things is not going to do that. Let Christmas, let this week encourage you to seek God, to make a decision. I'm going to seek God on my own. Because when you do, you'll, you'll find Him and He will not disappoint you. Here's the third thing, and then we're going to be through. The wise men teach us this, and that is God deserves my treasures. They deserve my treasures. You're going to talk about that frankincense, gold, and myrrh, right? Yeah, there was little, some little kids, by the way, in a Christmas play. They played the three wise men. And so one of them, each of them had a line. The first kid said, gold. And the other one said, myrrh. And the third one said, Frank brought this. No, no. I used to think, when I was a kid, I thought it was Frankenstein. Can you imagine at the manger? You know, no, wait a minute, that's a different holiday. You know. Kids are funny. No, we see from the wise men that God deserves, He deserves our treasures, folks. Look at this passage here. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And I, I want you to know, I would say something to me is this, is that King Herod, when they saw King Herod, they said, we're looking for the king. And he goes, no, no, the king. You can see he's disturbed then. You know, you can see, do they offer him a gift? Did they give him anything? They don't give him anything. Do they give Mary anything? They don't worship Mary that's a person. It's dangerous to worship a person. Preacher. Amen. Dangerous to worship a spouse. He worships the ground she walks on. It's dangerous. What do they do? They bow. They bow down to Jesus. You ever done a study on the bow? What that's about? The bow, the bow, to bend. Yeah, the bow comes from to bend, to bend down. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, you, you, do a history, you do a little study on the, the history of the bow. It's come a long way. It used to be you would lay flat on your, your whole body before a person. A slave would do that to a master. That's how you bowed. Today, it can be a simple nod or a curtsy. Used to, if you bowed, you would, if you were bowing to God, you would bow on two knees. You would be on two knees. You never knelt like that before a person. That's why it's always one knee. When a guy says, will you be my wife? Ladies, if you have a man that bows on both knees to you, you need to run from that man because he's worshiping you. And that isn't going to benefit your marriage. No, it means to surrender. It means, it means to put yourself in a place where you're already bowed down and defeated, saying, you know, you are superior, you are stronger, and I've already defeated, and I'm already going to put myself in a place of defeat because you are victorious over me. It means to surrender. It means to say, you're the king, and I'm not. When you bowed... It, was a, it, it made it clear the status of your relationship. 
So when these guys bowed, they're saying, it's no longer my kingdom, your kingdom. This is very important for us to get get straight because, guys, there are two kingdoms on this planet that are fighting one another. Right? There's the kingdom of the world, kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And they will not get along. And you try to straddle those two or get in the middle of those two, you'll get chewed apart. You have to choose. And it's not this physical bow that I'm talking about although it does represent some things, it would do us good sometimes to bow when we pray. Nothing wrong with it. But it's more than a physical gesture. It is, it's saying to God, you have my heart. I take my eyes off of you and make myself vulnerable to your rule. I trust you. It's your kingdom, not mine. And they bow to Jesus, not to Mary. They bow to a God, the Son of God. But notice the, the thing I want you to notice also is that they, they bowed down and worshipped him. And then it says their worship extended on to something else. It says, then they opened their treasures to him. They opened their treasures. What a line, huh? Does God have your treasures? The wise men say, oh, he deserves the treasures of life. And they express it in three different ways. And maybe you've thought of this before, but I find it just so amazing. They give him gold. And that's what you give a king. They open up and they say, here's our gold. More than, you're more important than money. More important than a career. More important than getting things. We're going to get. You, you gave a, a king gold as a tribute. And kings deserve gold. So he gives them gold. These are not Christmas presents. You know, again, the early church tried to compare it to Christmas presents. These are not Christmas presents. The thought. You ever heard of somebody say it's the thought that counts? The thought behind these gifts is incredible when you stop and think about it. He's saying gold. That goes to a king. We're saying They're saying, you are king. They didn't give him to Herod. They gave him to Jesus. But not only did he give, not only was it gold is, is what you give a king, it was incense, frankincense. And that's what you offered to deity. In the Old Testament, remember our study of the Old Testament? They offered incense. That's what you offered to deity. So they're not only saying you are king with a kingdom that is now ours. You are God in the flesh. These are guys that aren't Jewish that get it. That means anybody can get this, see? We all can figure this out. And not only do they give him incense and say you're deity, you're God, they give him myrrh. What's myrrh? Sounds like a cow with a bad problem there. Myrrh is what? It's for someone who's going to die. That's what they used. That's the spice they used on the body of Jesus. And what are they saying with this? Oh, it's very expensive stuff. It is very expensive stuff. Yeah. But what what, what are they saying to him? What are they saying to Jesus? We know you're born 
to die for mankind. They see it much deeper. What Christmas means to them is your King of Kings, your God, the Son, not only Son of God, but God the flesh, and you're the greatest sacrifice for God's love of the world He gave, and we're seeing it happen right now. Let me ask you this morning, the great question, a wise question the wise men are asking us this morning, is God getting my treasures or my leftovers? Ask yourself that. Is God getting from me? Because Christmas is not about what I'm getting from God, but what I'm giving to God. Is God getting from me my treasures or what's left? Why is that such an important question? The reason it's such an important question is what you give to God expresses what you really think of Him. And so I say to all of you here at Greater Alton Church and those of you who are guests here, let's celebrate Christmas this, this week. Let's celebrate it in a wise way. Let's remember. Let's remember that, it's, that God wants to be close, not only to you and I, but to the people that we love family members and the friends we want to see, that no one's ever too far away. Maybe somebody here, you, you feel like, you know, I just feel so many miles away from God. I, I don't go to church on a regular basis. Tim. I, I don't read my Bible every day. I, I, I got all these things that, that make me think I'm just so far away. Well, you don't have to be far away. And by the way, going to church and reading your Bible every day doesn't mean you're going to be close to God. That doesn't ensure it. It's just a question of going, I'm going to really think of the Lord. I'm going to give Him my life. Why not move close a little bit this year? While you're at it, I want to encourage all of us here. Let's give God our best. Let's give Him the gold in our life. The things, the things that are important in our life, let's give them to Him. To let Him say, Lord, You're in charge. You're King of my gold. You're, the, you're God of all. And You're the greatest sacrifice. I wouldn't even be a step closer to heaven without your help. We're going to pray and we're going to be out of here. God bless you this Christmas season. And um, be encouraged by these wise men. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you. And just thank you so much, Lord.